We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. For Samuel 21, um, as we learn lessons uh, through the life of David, and you know, one of the things that I think we realize in life is that we can learn uh, the easy way, which is by reading the Bible. Um, sometimes we learn the hard way by making mistakes. Uh, some people never learn. Uh, another way I think that we can learn is uh, by the mistakes of others. And that's one of the things about the Bible you'll find that even a lot of people say, uh, for this reason, we know it's inspired, among other reasons, is because it, it tells all the uh, all the ugly stories of individuals that normally we'd present them as a perfect person, you know, but um, the Bible doesn't hide the warts. It doesn't hide the, the failures of others. And I, and I think part of the reason is not only is it just because it's a true story, but also because of the fact that we fail the Lord sometimes, you know, and, uh, and it, you know, I don't know how you guys feel when that happens, but it's, it's kind of not a good feeling. You know, but but when you realize that God is there for your, for us when we fall, you know, God is there for us to give us a, another chance in life. I think it encourages us. I think it even encourages us to know that David is described in the book of Acts chapter 13 as a man after God's own heart, and yet he wasn't a perfect man. You know, I think that when you look at David, we learn lessons from him that can encourage us uh, wherever we are in life. Because maybe you're here tonight and you're right in the middle of a, of a stumbling or maybe you've blown it somehow, some way. And you're wondering, man, I, here I am in this in the church and I, and I almost feel like I don't belong here because, man, I don't got it together like all these other people do. Um, but let me tell you, no one here does. None of us do. We have an awesome God who has died for us on the cross and has forgiven us of our sins. But man, he's the one who's perfect. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who died for you. And he's the one that can restore your life. Not that we go out and we sin. No, we learn from these things. But it's cool to know, you know, that this is really the way it is for us as Christians. Because uh, look what we read here in First Samuel 21. Um, it says in... In verse 1, it says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? And so David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, I know we're picking it up in the middle of the story. Some of you have an idea where we are. Um, but we know that now in the life of David, um, he begins a period of his life where he is a fugitive. Um, from what I understand, this life on the run uh, extends for about 10 years and, and when you look at it, man, it's weird. You know, here he is running. He'd really done nothing wrong. But Saul, the current king of Israel, and his insecurity, his jealousy and envy, he wanted to kill David. And so David is forced to flee. 
And it would be a tough time, but it would be a growing time for David. And what we find, you guys, is that those tough times are times that we can actually grow. It's in the pains of life, focused on Christ, where we experience the gains of life. And I know it's hard. You know, I know it's hard, especially when you've done nothing wrong. And there you are, you find yourself in just some great trial. But, you know, it was during these hard times that character was built. And I really believe that's a principle in life. I, I don't know about you, but I just love it when everything's going good, you know, when life is just flowing and it's easy. And uh, um, I think we all do. We don't really like those trials. We don't like those inconveniences in life, the, the, the things that hurt. But it's those things that hurt that will form us into the character of Jesus Christ, which I think is what we ultimately want to be. I think I mentioned to you last week that the three roles that David had in life as a soldier and as a psalmist and as a king, he, he did great jobs as a soldier, a psalmist, and as a, and as a king. But it was those two you know, tough roles as a shepherd and a fugitive that made him the man that he needed to be. And one of the things that I've found in life, it doesn't matter what your calling is, it doesn't matter what your role or responsibility is, whether it's a husband or a father or a pastor or a missionary or there you are in the front lines of the business field or wherever you are, that, that the making of a minister is the making of a man of God, making of a woman of God. And it's through those difficulties where character is formed. But during those times, we we got to get our eyes on the Lord. And when we do, you're going to find that we grow. You know, when you read the Psalms, uh, and we know that the Psalms, 150 Psalms, at least 72 of them were written by David. He wrote many encouraging Psalms during this period of suffering. And from them, God's people today find strength and courage in their own times of testing. And so when you go through the hard times, guess what? You're going to be there to help someone else go through the hard times. And so here we find David. He's on the run. He goes uh, three miles south. He goes to this place called Nob. It's kind of a funny city name, huh? Nob. And uh, it's uh, about three miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, as he gets there, he runs into this individual named Ahimelech. He was a priest in Israel, uh, probably the high priest. And so when the high priest saw David, he the Bible says right here, he was afraid. <laughs> you know, and he was kind of puzzled that David was there from what he could see all alone. And, you know, if you think about it, David was probably looking a, a little scary. After all, he had been kind of on the run. He was probably hungry. He's probably weary. He's probably been weeping. And Ahimelech is not used to this. It's here that David runs. And and the first thing I want to share, and I think that we see in the Bible, is it's actually a good place to run. You know, um, David ran to the, I guess you could say in those days, it was, the, it was the tabernacle, it was the temple. It was kind of like David ran to church, to this building where supposedly he would find a sanctuary. Uh, some have identified this as the location of the tabernacle, and what that symbolized, you guys probably know, is God's, God's special presence, right? And, and so we know it's a city of priests. And, and David, as he runs, he could find 
who have counsel and wisdom and prayer to offer to him. And, you know, when I read this right here, it kind of reminds me of the cities of refuge described in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, where you could run to, literally run to, for safety. You know, David Guzik said that David does a great thing as he goes to the house of the Lord. And, and you know, if you find yourself struggling and, and going through hard times, a lot of times you, you feel like you have nowhere to go. But you do. We've got the Lord. And we can run to the Lord. And in some ways, we can even run here to this, you know, church. It doesn't really look like a, a church sometimes, you know. It's kind of weird. But man, here as God's people are gathered together and we, you know, we, we want to live our life according to His Word in many ways. It's here that you'll find that sanctuary. It's here that you'll find that safety. The Bible says, and I was reading this with my kids the other day in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, that the name of the Lord is a strong t- Righteous run to it and are, are are safe, you know. And that's where we need to be, you guys. Uh, we need to run to the Lord. And, uh, and I'm just so blessed even that you guys are here on a Thursday night. I would venture to say that for some of you here, not all of you, but for some of you, it was probably a struggle to get here, right? You're like, man, I don't feel like going tonight. I want to watch the vice presidential debate or whatever it is, man. When I kick back, take my shoes off and have some chorizo or whatever the, you know, the things that you do on a Thursday night, you know, you know, why would anybody go to church on a, on a Thursday night? I mean, you guys are weird, you know, don't Christians just go on Sundays and, and, and then yet I, I would imagine that for many of us, myself included, we need to run here. We need to run to this sanctuary, you know, because we want to run to the Lord. And, and so I'm blessed that you're here. But here's the thing, you guys, that showing up isn't all that's required. You know, we can't just show up. We also have to, if I could just say this, we also have to man up. We need to come to the sanctuary in honesty. We need to come here in transparency. Because when we come in that type of heart, it allows the living God to do miracles in our life. You know, I, I remember one day, and this happened many times in many forms, but recently, man, it was probably maybe just maybe about two months ago, six weeks ago, uh, we were here and this guy came in and, uh, and he, I don't know if he had a hangover, if he was still drunk, but man, he, he, he was a believer, but man, he was just at the end of his rope. You know, you could tell that he was on the brink of losing everything, losing his life, losing his family, I mean, losing everything. You could just tell he was there. And I believe that the devil would have loved to just drive him away and just say, you know what, your life is over. There's no hope for you. But man, thank God that he had enough uh, sense, just enough of that spirit-led direction to walk through those doors and to come in and to the sanctuary, so to speak. But when he came in, he came in humility. He came in transparency. He came in honesty. And God did an awesome work in his life. You see, and that's what we need to do. We need to run to the Lord. Yeah, that's cool. But we also have to run just as people that are honest. People that are transparent. People that in many ways are broken. You see, tragically, David came in a disguise, so to speak. You know, he tries lies. 
And what we see is that when we don't come honestly, God can't work effectively. God, you tie God's hands. You're not going to come in honesty, then it won't happen. Nothing good will come out of it. You can't go forward. You'll go in reverse. Things will get worse unless really, you guys, we come in complete honesty. You know, here we see David tells Ahimelech in verse 2 that he's on the king's business, right? Some secret mission. He says, don't tell anyone. My young men are at such and such a place. And that wasn't true, right? It wasn't. David would later come to horribly regret his lie. Because what we find is that this dishonest visit would cause the deaths of the priests. Eighty-five priests, they would all die because of his lie. And all the city of Nob would be slain. And women, children, kids, even infants, because of his lie. You know, and one of the things I want to encourage you guys, and, and myself included, is just to be completely honest, man. You know, because that's what God's kids do. They walk in the light. They're transparent. They're honest. You know, there are many passages in the Bible that prohibit lying and I, and I just pray you guys would just listen to God's word and even maybe learn from David's mistake. Leviticus 19.11, it says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. We know in Proverbs 6.17 that lying is listed among the things the Lord hates. And in Proverbs 12.22, we read that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his Delight, And so, you know, it's interesting. Jesus told the religious leaders that murder and lying, murder and lying are the two distinctives of the disciples of the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And you know, I don't know how you guys are. I would venture to say most of you here are probably honest people, but, but maybe you're cool with, you know, telling white lies or whatever. And we're going to see even more than that. You know, and I guess, man, if you are a liar, if you lie, if you're cool with lying, I pray that you would no longer be cool with lying. Not, none at all. Because it's just the, it's the language of Lucifer. It causes so much heartache. You know, before we were spiritually alive, we lied. But it should no longer be the case for us as Christians. We read in Colossians 3.9, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. One last thing. If you're here today and you're a liar, the Bible says you will be cast into the lake of fire. You're like, but I don't get drunk and I don't get high and I don't do sex and all that kind of stuff and I'm not doing a pornography and whatever the bad sins are. No, you know what? That's what the Bible says in Revelation 21a. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, as drug addicts, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. It's the second death. And so, you know, man, we just got to speak the truth completely. One person said a lie is the refuge of weakness. But I would also add a lie is the refuge of wickedness. You know, one last thing before we move on from here. You know, some people, they won't give a lie, but they'll live a lie. 
And I want to encourage you to know this, that the essence of lying is deception. And, you know, not just in explicit words, but in our lives. So we have to be so careful, you guys, to beware of lies. Sin has many tools, but lie is the handle that fits them all. Sometimes I wonder sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to share something with you. I, this is what did I see. They are hiding something. I can see it. And they're liars. God can't work with an individual like that. We have to come out. Be open. Be honest. Stop living a lie. It's very important for us. You see, David, this man of integrity, undoubtedly wanted to protect the lives of the priests and, of course, his own life. But the thing is, is that he did it the wrong way. And he goes over there to Nob and he says, hey, I'm on the mission of the king and everything's cool and it's really not. And, you know, we know that David was a man on the run. Saul didn't want to kill him. And so that's okay to run. It's okay you know, if someone's, you know, if you're going to get in a fight with someone, you know they're going to beat you up. You know, it's okay, you know, you, to go the other way, kind of. Well, for some of us, right? We know it's all right. You know what? No, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. That's where you go the other way or whatever it is, you know. Or you go to some dangerous place and you don't go down that alley or whatever. That's okay. You know, we know even Jesus in Matthew chapter 2 uh, was led to go to flee, right, to Egypt during a period where Herod was wanting to kill him and so it's okay to flee it's okay to fly away it's just not okay to lie away see and that's where david went wrong what ended up happening was david came to this place in his life it's completely out of character where he completely lacked trust in god and i see that a lot of times in the church and we're looking to we're looking to men and we're looking to the things of men with all of our hearts and we have taken our eyes off the Lord. David right here, man, he just there God was nowhere. And we just need to guard ourselves knowing again, another thing that this can happen to any one of us, you know? Abraham, the man of faith, he lied two times, remember, about his wife in Genesis twelve and Genesis twenty, he said she's just my sister, and it was a half, you know, truth. But that's a whole lie, right? There's a lot of people who kind of weasel their way around the truth. And you can't do that with God. You're still a liar. You need to come forth and say the truth. We have to be so careful. Isaac did the same thing, unfortunately, in Genesis chapter 26. And if it can happen to Abraham and Isaac and David, then the truth is because of our sin nature, it can happen to any of us. And so we read in verse 3, David says, Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. And then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. And so the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day 
when it was taken away. And so David's on the run. He's a fugitive. Think about it. He has no food. He can't go to Jack in the Box, right? And so he's hungry. Um, he probably did have other men with him. And he asked for five loaves of bread, which may mean that he had four other guys with him. Um, but in the end, David just basically said, do you have anything, man? <laughs> and so Himelech responds by saying, well, we don't have any ordinary bread, a common bread. All we have is that, that holy bread, also known as the show bread. And uh, it's kind of interesting you know, just as a quick side note, isn't it sad that the priests didn't have any, any, any other food? What's that a sign of? It's a sign of the spiritual decline of the nation, a spiritual decline. And so people weren't tithing. They had no food, right? All they had was the showbread described in Leviticus 24. Let's turn there real quick, if you would, to your favorite book in the Bible. That's actually an awesome book, right? Leviticus. We already went over this book, and it was so cool. But in Leviticus 24, we see the instructions in verse 5. It says, And you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Do you guys like cake? Yeah, I'm sure you do, right? <laughs> two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table. Notice it says, Before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And here it is, and, and read this very carefully. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord, made by fire, by a perpetual statute. And so we'll come back to verse 9 uh, a little later. But, you know, Ahimelech right here uh, tells him all we have is this showbread described in Leviticus 24. You know, and we're not really sure what these are. Sometimes when you look at pictures, they, they, they kind of show you like they're little biscuits or something. But more than likely, they were like pancakes, just to let you know. You guys like pancakes? Okay, they're more than likely two stacks of pancakes right there. And uh, as they're there, uh, when you would go into the tabernacle, and I wish you guys can kind of visualize it, but remember it was a tent of meeting. Uh, altogether, it was only 15 feet by 45 feet, and the first room was 15 by 30. And when you go into the room, on the right side would be the showbread, on the left bread side would be the, the candlestick or the menorah. And so they would go in there and they would have these 12 loaves, so to speak, there in the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and these 12 loaves were symbolic of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, always in God's presence, which is a really beautiful picture. And so every uh, Sabbath day, they would give uh, the fresh bread. They would bake it and put it in there. And then they would take out the fresh bread, I mean the old bread. And then in verse 9 it says, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons. And, and they were supposed to eat it in a holy place, for it's most holy to him from the offerings of fire made to the Lord. And so when you look at this right here, it's kind of interesting. You would figure that the priests would say no. But the priest says, well, I suppose you can have the bread. And, you know, if you and the young men are ceremonial clean, 
then I can give it to you. And so back in 1 Samuel 21, David answered the priest and said to him, Well, truly, you know, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel that day. And so basically, in a nutshell, David tries to convince Ahimelech, you know, in, in referring now to the teaching of Deuteronomy 23, 9-11, that says, if we go out to war, then we will keep ourselves from women, we will keep ourselves ceremonially clean. And if that's the case for just any war, how much more so for the war that we're in right now, this special mission. So, so we're clean, and this bread, David says, is common. Basically, what is he trying to do? He's just trying to, uh, to, um, to, you know, just get the bread. He's trying to win, you know, this over, get some food from him. And just as a quick side note, you know, that right there is probably why, you remember the story with Uriah? Why he didn't go back to the, you know, be with his wife? Because Deuteronomy said that if you go and you're with your wife, then you can't go out and fight. Uriah wanted to fight. And so it's all part of what the Lord says in his word. But, you know, what we find right here is David tells Ahimelech, we're clean and in all reality the bread is now common. So can I have some bread? Maybe, just maybe, David was really hungry. Have you guys ever been there? I doubt it. <laughs> Really hungry. Maybe where you haven't lived, seriously, where you haven't eaten for three days. This is where David is, right? And so on verse 6, it says, So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. And so the priest gave him this holy bread. And maybe maybe you're here today and you're like, what's up with that? You know, we just read in Leviticus, man, that he's not supposed to do that. You know, what's what's he doing? And and when we read the Bible, we find, though, that this guy Ahimelech was right. And the main reason we know he was right is because Jesus said he was right. And let's go over to Matthew 12 and we'll read what Jesus said. And you can read this in Mark chapter 2 or Luke chapter 6. And so this is repeated. In other words, God really wants us to get a hold of this. In Matthew 12 and verse 1, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read for Samuel chapter 21 what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? That's how we know there were other guys with David. How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And I say to you in this place there is one greater than the temple but if you had known here it is if you had known what this means i desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is lord even of the sabbath you know and and this is important i think for us you guys and it's kind of cool being in old testament being able to have the new testament commentary on it, especially when that commentary is by Jesus. 
But you know, because a lot of times what I think where we get in trouble is we are legalistic and we have traditions that we have elevated over truth. And you know what? We think that we are these like awesome scribes. And in all reality, we can be terrible hypocrites that would then awaken the anger of God against us. We have to be so careful with that because Leviticus 25 verse 9, it says it's for Aaron and his sons, but it doesn't use the word only. You see, if it would have said Aaron and his sons only, then that would have been different. But what happened is they took the verse and they said, okay, well, this is just for us. And what we find is that when you, that's the way you have to read the Bible. A lot of times we elevate traditions. And how many rules and regulations do you have where if another person doesn't abide by your rule or regulation, you judge them? We have to be so careful. We have to kind of strip everything and start from scratch. And we have to make sure that we are absolutely biblical. Because here we are, we pride ourselves in knowing the Bible so well. The Pharisees prided themselves in knowing the Bible so well. But in all reality, their application and their interpretation went beyond the scope of the Scriptures. You know, there's a, a couple of things here. One would be the law of human need supersedes the law of, you know, the ceremonial law. That, that's one thing that we have to be so careful of. But again, I think the primary thing for us is to realize that, you know, we can't go beyond the, the, the truth with our traditions. You'd be surprised how often we elevate our traditions over truth and personal convictions over divine convictions, even to the same place as God's word. And in the process, we become legalistic Pharisees, antithetical to Jesus Christ, the one that you say you love. And as we try to please God, we might even anger him. And so my encouragement to you is, is let, let love, um, a true love for people really be what drives you. And of course, we know that love will correct individuals and love will comfort individuals. But I think that a lot of times when you look deeper, what you find is that, that that's not really what's in our heart. I mean, here's this guy. He's hungry. Here's the Pharisees. You know, they're, they're there complaining about the disciples because they're getting a little bit of a, you know, some grain, you know, some fiber for the day. And I think a lot of times we might find ourselves doing the same thing. A lot of times I can find myself being that way with my kids. Why? Because I want them, you know, to act just like me. And I want them, you know, whatever. You might want them to put on some type of show. We have to be so careful, you guys. We do. That we are just biblical. I mean, here's David. The guy's hungry. Someone might criticize him for doing this. But no, the priest just gives him some bread. Even though doing the right thing might cost you your life. Because back in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 7, it says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. And it says he was detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And so, you know, while this is all happening, we find that this guy Doeg um, is there, a weird guy. Uh, we're going to see 
you know, Lord willing, if we're here next week, that Doeg actually gives a false report to King Saul about this whole incident. And that this guy Doeg, he ends up killing, think about this, 85 priests and all the inhabitants of the city of Nob, including women, children, nursing infants, and even the, the, the animals. It's just, he's a, he's just a terrible, he's a terrible man. He's an absolutely terrible man. But look where he's at. He's in church. It's crazy. And that happens sometimes, man. Here's this guy. It says right here he's detained you know, by the Lord. And we're like, well, what's that all about? Well, more than likely, um, he was probably going through some ritualistic religious requirement in order to you know, have this job of being one of Saul's herdsmen. I don't know, a proselyte of that sort. But, you know, it's crazy to see there he is. You know, you wonder what's he doing there. But what we find is that this guy right here is going to be used by the enemy to do some crazy damage. But again, you know, David was in in many ways, or we're going to see it later, 1 Samuel 22, 22, he says it was my fault. Yeah, Doeg was the instrument of murder, but David was the one, because of his lie, he created all this problem. And so next, David not only needs you know food, he needs to fight. And so look where he turns in verse 8. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And so the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. (laughs) Give it to me. And so, you know, David needs food. David needs to fight. And David here, it's interesting to me, finds himself in the middle of a lie with now the sword of the enemy, so to speak, you know. You know, and David said, hey, man, do you got any yeah, sword, a spear, you know, something I can fight with? And Ahimelech says, well, we don't have anything except for that one sword. Remember that time that you, David, you killed the Philistine? Remember that amazing miracle, that thing that you did there in the Valley of Elah when you, God used you to kill the giant? You remember that? We got that sword. And and in one sense, you know, a lot of people will say, well, that should have kind of rekindled something in him, man. Look what the Lord can do. Look what the Lord can do. And we look back in church history. Look at what God can do when the church awakens. Look at what God can do when the church awakens. But a lot of times we're looking for the sword of Goliath. Give me the, the sword of men. You know, and, and we have to be so careful that our trust is completely in the Lord because God searches our hearts and He knows whether or not we really believe in the power of God and in the power of His truth and the power of His Word. Not the Word of the enemy. The enemy. The enemy, I mean, it's just crazy when I see this right here. 
And I wonder, man, what happened to David? Shouldn't this have rekindled some pretty cool memories for him? Where did his faith go? Well, he lapsed into a season where he forgot the Lord, the Lord who had protected him, remember? From the lion, the bear, and the giant, the forces of the Philistines, how God had given the supernatural victories repeatedly. He forgot the God who had anointed him as the future king of Israel. You know, and, and maybe God was trying to jog his memory. Even Ahimelech, that name means my brother is the king. You know, that's real interesting, you know. And here he is, he finds Ahimelech, and God is just saying, I believe, trying to reach him. And, and maybe the Lord is trying to reach us too, you guys. Maybe. You know, maybe somehow, some way. And there's just different creative ways in our life where, you know, we begin to look to men or we begin to look to the sword of Goliath or we begin to manipulate or we begin to scheme, we begin to plan and we're not praying and we're not living and we're not believing the way that we used to. What we find right here is David is on a spiral, downward spiral. Before, when he was in the spirit, remember, he refused to take Saul's weapons, choosing instead to rely on the God who had given him victory over the lion and the bear. But now he seeks material weapons. And it's interesting because the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What does carnal mean? Human. Men. So that's not the weapons of our warfare. A far cry from David's victorious words in 1 Samuel 17, 47. Do you guys remember when he defeated Goliath? What did he say? Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and with spear. He does not save with the arm of men, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, he's speaking to Goliath, he will give you into our hands. You know, and I just want to encourage you guys, whatever the situation is that you're facing in life, and, you know, I've, we've gone through things maybe with our kids, and I know I've gone through things, man, that it makes me pray, it makes me cry, it makes me go and spend time with the Lord all night long, it makes me fast, it makes me desperate, you know, and, and I think that before we try all these other things, maybe we should try this first. Maybe we should try praying and fasting and surrendering and searching our heart and finding out us as, as a church, you know, personally, Lord, is there any sin in my life that's hindering you from working? And us as a congregation, Lord, is there anything in this church, anything in us that's hindering you, the power of God? Because when the power of God is unleashed, the power of God, what can stop the power of God? Nothing. But see, a lot of times we find ourselves really, really in all reality, we are not believers anymore. And that's why we have to really search our hearts personally, congregationally, wanting God to do a work. You see, David right here, he's a lesson for us in that he went to the right place, but he didn't go in all honesty. He went deceitfully looking to the sword of men, and and then it got worse. Because, you know, one thing, this is what happens, you guys. This is what happens. Um, you know, they, they first died physically. You know, all these guys, they're going to die physically. That's kind of like one picture. 
But now when David goes to the Philistines, you want to know what happens? They die spiritually because here was the man who represented the God of Israel and he had, he had just given this amazing victory to the Israelites. I mean, and all the Philistines were thinking, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the true God, the living God, the saving God. But now, because of his lack of faith, what does he do? He ends up going to the Philistines and he ruins his entire witness. And what ends up happening? Well, they end up not coming to the Lord. See, that's a spiritual death. Which is worse? All the 85 priests, they probably went to heaven. All the, the family of the priests and all those people, man, I'll bet you almost anything that they went to heaven. But where did the Philistines go when they died? See, our witness, our witness is so important. Look what David does here in verse 10. It says, And then David arose and fled that day from before Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? And did they not sing of him to one another and dances, saying, Saul is slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid, and Achish, the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them. And he pretended madness in their hands. He scratched on the doors of the gate. You can hear it now. <laughs> and, and, and his saliva fell down on his beard. And the Nakish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I read of need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And, and and what we find, you guys, is that when we stop believing in the power of God and we start being a, a, a people, a church, and I, and I have seen it ever so clearly, making their decisions based on fear. They're so afraid. And what does the Bible say? The fear of man brings a snare. There's only one fear we should have. The fear of God. And if you fear anything else, anyone else, if you're afraid to die, all those things, man, you're afraid of the one who can kill your body and not your soul, you're going to start making decisions that literally are crazy. And that's where David goes. He goes, think about this. Isn't this weird? He goes to the, 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 it's a province of Gath and the Philistines. That's where Goliath was from. He goes, to, he goes with this Goliath sword, you know, to the, to the, this, to the enemy. To the enemy. And you'd be surprised. Some Christians do that. They go to the enemy. It's crazy. Because they're not thinking straight. Because they're not believing in God anymore. Because they're confused. Because they're afraid. They're afraid of men. I'll tell you what, man. I don't want that for my life. I don't want someone to strike some fear of man into me. We got to make sure that, that, that the Lord is the one that we fear. And as you find yourself in difficult situations, granted, this is a very difficult situation, 
You know, for a man, you know, to, to, in those days especially, to let saliva just go all over his beard, it was just really like the end, man. Because believe it or not, I, I don't, does anybody here have a goatee or anything like that? None of us here have a really full-on beard, huh? Anybody? MJ might be the closest. I don't know if he's here or not. He's got handlebars right here, man. <laughs> but um, those things were actually like the medals of honor, man. And for you to let the saliva go down is like, oh man, that's this guy's really at the at the end. Get him out of here. He's crazy, and uh, and we will we'll end up doing some pretty pretty crazy things when we don't trust the Lord. And so uh, I think for us, you know, w- one of the things I just want to encourage you in is that w- as you're going through the hard times, and we all are going to go through them. Some of them we kind of bring on ourselves. Others we just, you know, we just live in the fallen world and God is going to do a work. But man, run to the Lord. Don't run anywhere else. Please. Run to the Lord. Check your prayer life. Check your heart. Bring it before God in all sincerity. Run to the Lord in all honesty. No more, no more playing games. No more living a lie. Just, this is who I am, Lord. These are the struggles that I have. Lord, I find myself at the end of my rope. Lord, I find myself in all reality, you know, gossiping, talking smack, slandering, a wicked person, whatever it is, whatever it is. But you come to the Lord in honesty. And you find that it's in those, you know, times that that God is going to minister things to you. Real quick, you guys. Um, there were a couple of psalms that, that David wrote during this time. And I want to turn to them real quick. They just love reading the psalms, understanding their context. And the first one, let's start in Psalm 56. And look what it says here in verse 1 of Psalm 56. It says, To the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands... A miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. And so here we see that when he was there in the land of the Philistines, you know, he comes in first, he's like, hey, I'm your friend, you guys be my friend. And then they capture him. They capture him. That's what it says right here, right? And it's at that point where they begin to say, hey, you guys remember that song? They sing about him. He killed all these guys. And it's like, oh, no. He begins to go mad. But look, in retrospect, after going through that whole process look what he says he says be merciful to me O god for man would swallow me up fighting all day he opposes me my enemies would hound me all day for there are many who fight against me almost high whenever i'm afraid here it is whenever i'm afraid i will trust in you See, he learned through this whole process. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And you guys, do you believe that? Do you believe that or not? Are you afraid of man or not? Are you afraid of God? Which one is it? What can flesh do to you? All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps where they lie and wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity and anger, cast down the peoples, O God? And he's probably speaking about Saul and just 
all these things are all after him. But here it is. I love this. And you guys make sure you circle this or underline this. This is such a beautiful verse. It says, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Isn't that cool? We find ourselves just wandering through life. You know, God is there. He has his eyes on you, man. He knows exactly where you are. Yeah, that's number 372. Yeah, I know, man. And I'm with you. And it's all part of my plan. God is there. And when you cry, and, and if you haven't been crying, then I would just say probably something's wrong, man. I mean, you know, it's it's been that way for me for years now. Being here in the church in Almani, I find myself just crying, just weeping weeping, not over, not only over things that I go through, but things that you guys go through, the hard times in the congregation. And, you know, when you find yourself there, it's so cool to know that every single tear, it says right there that he puts them in, a, in his bottle. Isn't that cool? Man, you're like, man, he must have a big bottle for me, huh? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's so cool. I mean, the Lord is just aware of all the things you're going through. You know, David learned this the hard way, but praise God, he learned it eventually, right? He says, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know. Notice this, because God is for me. You guys, you don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. God is for us, but we have to believe in him. We really do. He says right here, In God I will praise His word. In the Lord I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? I just love that psalm, especially when you know the context to it. And one more, real quick, Psalm 34. It says in verse 1, A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Ahimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. It's kind of weird, huh? You're like, wow, that's a weird occasion for a psalm. (laughs) When he acted like he was crazy. But look what God did. He says, I will bless the Lord when... At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. I love this. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. You know, maybe that's you. And you're like, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Cry out to the Lord. You just cry out to the Lord. You watch, he'll save you from all your troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You see, the Lord had delivered David from this crazy situation. Undoubtedly, he thought he was going to die, but God spared him, right? And so he's trying to tell other people, man, 
taste of the Lord. Have you tasted of the Lord? You know, it's so, so awesome when you, you know, you, you try to tell people that they haven't really tried. Have you ever really given God a chance? Have you ever fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Truly, completely, absolutely, 100%. I'm not talking about doing your sacraments. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about being a religious person, but where you gave Him your heart. Have you ever really tried that? Because if you do, and when you do, you're going to find that the Lord is good. That's what He's saying. He says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no lack or want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Isn't that cool? Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Here it is. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them. There it is again. Out of all their troubles, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Isn't that cool, man? It's beautiful, beautiful. When you know when it was written, and when you realize that it was during those difficult times that the Lord taught David all these things, and as he brought him out, you know, he wrote it down, he made these songs to minister to those of us that are here tonight who find ourselves, you know, in some tough times, man. You know, there's that scripture over in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. It talks about how we have fled to Jesus for refuge. And that's my, my prayer, man, for us tonight, that we would flee to Jesus for refuge. I beg of you, don't go anywhere else. Let's come to the Lord in all honesty and transparency. Say, here I am, I'm a knucklehead, Lord, uh, but I'm all yours. And if you do that, you watch what God will do in your life. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, man, it's so cool. He died on the cross for you. They put him in a grave and he rose again the third day. And the Bible says that if you would turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you just put your hand in his hand and say, Lord, help me through. And the Bible says, you will be saved. That's my prayer for anyone here who's not a Christian. Man, I pray that tonight would be the night of salvation. But I really have a heavy heart also for Christians. I have a heart for Christians who I, I think in many ways are not looking to the Lord. And I just pray, you guys, that we would come in all honesty with as much faith as we can muster up and just absolutely 
completely, 100% surrender our lives to Him. Let's do that. Father, what a awesome God you are, Lord. And I know you're waiting. I, I don't know, Lord. You know, we wish we could see more of the New Testament power. And I remember, Lord, you know, one time they, they said, where's the God of Elijah? Where's the God of Elijah? Where's the God of Elijah? And, and, and the real question was, where's the Elijah's? That's the real question. Because I know you haven't changed, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would awaken us to believe in you the way that we should. You are so worthy and so good. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, not to be Pharisees in the negative sense, Lord. Help us to know the distinction between the traditions of men and the truths of God. Lord, help us not to grieve you and help us not to anger you, Lord God. Help us to be so careful with those things, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to walk in the truth, to walk in the light. You know our hearts, Lord. And you know those here who are hiding things. And your word says one day you're going to shout it from the mountaintops. I pray, Lord, before that day comes, that we would come clean. Lord, bless your beautiful people, I pray, with a, a more of an awareness of the reality of your constant presence, of who you are. Lord, I pray for us as a church that you do a mighty, miraculous, supernatural work. We love you and thank you, Father. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.